Good morning, New City family. My name is Dana Hake, and I first want to say it's a pleasure, it's a privilege to be able to read God's word this morning. This is from James 5, 12 through 18. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person is great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky was sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning, New City. Welcome. I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is always a privilege for me to be up here and to share this wonderful book with you this morning. And so, especially if this is your first time, I just want you to hear from me how meaningful it is for not just me, but as a staff and as a church that we're really glad that you're here. And we really do hope that this time this morning as we gather in song and prayer and fellowship and reading God's word, that you will find at least some sense of encouragement this morning and be drawn closer, even if just one tiny step towards understanding and experiencing Jesus in a little better way this morning. And so, um, I want to start off this morning. I'm excited. I love the book of James. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. It's one of the most practical, pragmatic books that we go through. And I know we're coming to the end here, but it's been such a joy to go through this book, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. But this morning, what I want us to do before we jump into our passage, I want you to think about real quick with me, what is one of the most encouraging things anybody has ever done for you? 
You may have a memory that just popped up in your mind. You may be taking a little bit of time. But what is one of the areas in your life that you have felt the most encouraged with? Maybe it's something that somebody said. Maybe it's something that somebody did for you. But my hope, at least, is that all of us in this room, we can, we can hopefully come up with a few moments in life where we felt deeply encouraged. When, when, when people have interceded in, in our lives in a very meaningful way, that, that caused us to feel encouraged and, of course, encouraging us to something greater or something to keep us moving forward. Maybe that was a moment where we've lost a loved one. I know we've all been there. Maybe it was a, that, those moments in life where things were just really difficult. It just seems like when it rains, it pours, which is ironic given this past week, okay? Those moments where it just seems like the sun literally never comes out, what are, those, what are those times where people, though, have come into your life almost strategically and, and have given you some sense of encouragement right when you need it? Because I, I ask that question because I know the empowerment, the power of encouragement, and my guess is you do too. And hopefully you've had the opportunity to be one of those people that's encouraged others in those difficult seasons of life. And I think, as we know, and this is something I've been really learning over the past year, is that, you know, when it comes to these situations, when it comes to these problems in life, one of the most difficult pills to swallow is realizing that not all problems are necessarily meant to be solved. That not everything in life, not every difficult thing that we encounter and go through in life is not necessarily meant to be fixed instantly, but rather it's a journey to go through. And in those journeys, when we're trying to get to, through to what we're going through, particularly, as James is calling it, we need those people to come alongside us and journey with us and offer that encouragement, not by way of fixing everything, but simply being shoulder to shoulder with us as we're journeying through life and getting through what we're going through. I think what you're going to see today is not only is that beneficial for us to do for each other, not only is it a good thing that I encourage you, that you encourage me, I think what you're going to see today in the passage is it's actually required of us that we do that. That James is actually going to call us into a posture and a way that we interact with others that is required of those who know Jesus. And as I've thought about this question this week, what is it that really encourages me? I can think of a few moments in life, but I've come to realize, I guess the older I get, the, the, the more I understand this thing called the Christian life, I've really, to me, come to appreciate knowing and feeling deeply encouraged when I know that people are praying for me. But, but I have to be honest with you, though. In my honesty, I recognize that I don't always appreciate it. And there's a lot of reasons as to why that is. And maybe, maybe you're going to relate with this. Some of you will. Maybe you won't. But, but if I'm honest with you, I haven't always appreciated prayer because maybe sometimes I, I know I'm guilty of this where I've said I'll pray for somebody and then I just simply forget. Or, or maybe sometimes I feel that when, when people, people offer up prayer, maybe it feels fake and superficial and, and, and that it doesn't seem like it's really coming from an authentic place in their heart. And that may be all true at times, but, I, but if I'm really honest with you, I think my issue to appreciate prayer and how powerful it really can be for my life is that I often fail to have a proper perspective of what prayer actually is. As opposed to what I often do is I create an own expectation and what I, I want prayer to be something that God has not designed it to be. 
See, I don't know about you, but I think part of what I fail with sometimes is what I'm really wanting is, is a change in course. I, I want the situation to change. I don't, I don't need your prayers. I need this to just simply change, right? I, I want some sense of controls. And, and, you know, that's great that you're praying for me, but really what I want is for you to offer something tangibly for me. And though there are moments where that certainly is a good thing, I think what in my failure at times is I fail to understand the proper perspective of what prayer is and just how exactly powerful it is. And that's what we're going to see today is that beyond all of those tangible acts that there actually is a more powerful force in life, and that is called prayer. We, I, I forget that prayer is not just a simple support line up to heaven that we, we pick up and we say, God, here's what I need. But really, was, we'll see today a little bit that prayer is the opportunity for us to come to the living and relational God, to have those personal moments with, with our Savior to not only bring our requests to him, but to connect with him and allow him to teach things about ourselves, convict us in ways, and ultimately help us learn to trust him more. And I think what we'll see today as well is that prayer... In, in the context of, of the biblical context, it's not just something that's limited to my own self, but it, but it is something that I should be expecting of you and that you should be expecting from me. And no one knew that better than the Apostle James. So just a quick recap here. So as, as Pastor Nick told us, we're, we're starting to wrap up. We got one more lesson here in the book of James here. So James is a fantastic book. James is also kind of considered uh, wisdom literature in a lot of ways because he just is so blunt. He gets directly to the point. But we, we're wrapping up this series, How to Get Through What You're Going Through. And if you remember, just by way of quick context here, the book of James has a very specific purpose and a very specific audience, if you remember. The book of James was written to the dispersed Jewish believers that had faced extreme persecution in their time. So James, a fellow Jew, is, is writing to them. Of course, his words reign true for us today, but he's writing to these dispersed Jewish believers that were facing immense persecution. I'll talk about that here in a little bit here all throughout the area, and he's writing to them for the purpose of encouraging them in their faith. He, he's urging them, he's pleading them, yes, I know your situation, I'm feeling it too, but don't give up. Press on, stick true to the authentic faith that God has called you to, stick true to the gospel message, and don't abandon that. And so we have a very specific uh, people group, we have a very specific purpose in what James is doing. And of course, as we start to come to the end here, James is going to leave us with this, this last little bit of wisdom here. And he ends it and he says, but most of all, most importantly, what I want you to remember is that we never forget the power of prayer. And what you're going to see today is that we're going to see James talk about the different ways in which that you and I can pray. We're going to see how prayer is essential to our lives. But most importantly, what we're going to see today is we're going to see how prayer, when it's used in this way, has the ability to restore our broken, my brokenness and your brokenness and how we can do that together, especially, especially when our faith is being tested especially when we're in those difficult seasons of life, that prayer can help bring us back out of that. So three type of prayers that we're going to look at all helped it, uh, aimed at helping us in our struggles and all helping us experience Christ in a deeper way. So if you have a copy of Scripture, I want you to turn to James chapter 5, beginning, uh, we're going to begin in verse 13 today. And by the way, if you don't have it already, we have a New City app. You can download that. You can open that up as well, and you'll see the passage here. But I want to begin 
with this first prayer that James is going to introduce us to. Look with me in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. If you can follow along with me, it says, Are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Okay? So this first prayer that we're going to look at today that James introduces us to is that he says, I want to remind you about your own individual prayers, okay? Now, it's interesting because James begins off, and and he he really just gets straight to the point, and James introduces to us kind of two different emotions, right? Two different emotions that he wants us to process. They're they're different, but they they have equally important responses that should be invoked here, right? James understood this idea that, look, if you want to categorize it, we should either be praying or praising, right? That these two emotions that that should come forth from us is that we should either be in prayer for the hardship or we should be in praise or celebration because of the good times that we go through here. But there's something that James understands here that I think is really important. James understands this very simple but very difficult practice of maintaining a proper attitude, right? And that's really what this comes down to, is James recognizes this this notion that, look, we are not always in control of what happens in our life. In fact, I think we can argue that we're really never in control of our lives. But James is especially addressing this idea that, look, I know the situation that you're all facing. There's nothing we can do about that. We can't change the current times necessarily in our of ourselves. He says, I recognize that, but the one thing that we do have the ability to do is control our response. He says, so regardless of where you're at, I want to encourage you, you either need to be in prayer or you need to be in praise. I, I, I love this quote from Chuck Swindoll. This is one of my all-time favorite quotes here that I want to read to you. Um, talking about attitude and talking about the importance and the power of it. And this is what he says. He says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, the education, the money, the circumstances, than failure, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill, and it will make or break a company, a church, or a home. And this is where he goes on. He said, the remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. That's what James is saying here. He says, look... We, we know that we can't change the circumstances all the time. But the one string that we do have that we can play on is the, the emotion that we choose to act upon. So James says, look, we can either be in prayer or we can be in praise. James says that in suffering should produce prayer and sufficiency should produce praise. So we, we have these two. James reminds us as individuals, 
when, it, when it's hard, pray. When it's good, sing. One thing I want to introduce to you, though, is that in this verse, it, it's, it's important to understand that when James even uses the word suffering, we're going to talk about this more here in the next section here, but it's important to look at that word suffering, by the way, because that could be understood in a lot of different ways. But the word that James chooses to use there, are any of you experiencing suffering? Are you suffering? The word there is referring specifically to suffering as the result of evil treatment from others. Okay, and that's really important to what we're going to talk about today. So what James is saying, he goes, are any of you experiencing the evil from other people? And, and that can be in a variety of different ways, couldn't it, right? But he asks that question specifically because he's not talking about the context of suffering maybe um, from the natural occurrences in the world or even just maybe even feeling ill or sick in any way. He's specific about that word. He said, are any of you experiencing that type of suffering here? Notice that he says, if you are, he gives us our immediate reaction. He says, well, it needs to be one of these two. If you are experiencing that, our immediate response to suffering, our immediate response to the world inflicting evil upon us, it's not vengeance. It's not payback. It's not even anger. What is the first response that, that James gives us when we experience evil from others? Prayer. Likewise, he says, and your immediate response to, to when, when things are good, he says, is rejoice. The, the word literally meant make a noise, play an instrument, whatever that looks like to you. So we start to see here as individuals how prayer and praise work together. But let's look at the next one that James wants us to take a look at here, the next prayer. Look with verses 14 through 15 with me if you want to follow along again. So we have the prayer of the individual, and then he says this, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Now, we've seen the prayers of the individual. Now, James says, I want you to consider the prayers from the leaders in the local churches. Now, these two verses are so important, and they're so meaningful to us as, as a church body. And yet, unfortunately, I think there's often a misunderstanding around these verses. And there's a couple reasons as to why. And I'm going to propose these to you, and I'll let you come to your own conclusion. But I think there's a couple reasons why this verse gets taken a little out of context. One is, is a misunderstanding of the actual words that are used here, and particularly how the words are used in the context. We've already talked a lot about the context to which we find this letter. That's the first. But the second is that there's also this notion that we in, the, in you know, 2023 here, we're reading 2,000 years past as, as Western minds reading back into first century writers like James, there's often a difference there that, that we fail to understand just because of the different writing styles. But let me, let me explain this to you a little bit, all right? We, we, we want to come to Scripture, and we want to look at it, let it be plain and simple. And I advocate for that all the time. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Keep it plain and simple, all right? And yet, there's, I think one of the things that we do is that we can come to a passage like this, and we read this, and it says, you know, James says, look, are any of you sick? Call the elders around them, pray, and they will be healed, all right? So we can come to this passage, and we can think, okay, well, so if someone is physically ill, someone is sick, 
right? They've got some type of physical ailment that's facing them. Then the simple formula is, okay, well, then gather the elders, the leaders of your church, circle around these people, pray for them, and they will be healed. But here's what I want to show you this morning is that I think due to the context, I don't think that's actually what James is referring to here. Right? I don't think that James is writing to this idea of being physically ill because, once again, the whole letter has centered around this idea of experiencing hardship from the world that has been put on them. The persecution, the difficult things that the world is throwing upon them. And so James understands that. He knows that there was mass persecution. And so what he's recognizing here, he says that he knows that a lot of people in these churches that are all spread out throughout the area, that many of them are facing intense persecution, intense suffering and evil from, from the others. And he says, we need to gather the elders and the leaders of the church to come around side these people and pray for them. Right? And once again, he, I think what James is arguing is that when he, when he even uses that word sick, it's interesting, that word, right, it can be understood in two different ways. Right? The sick that's used in the New Testament there, it can be used to refer to physically ill. Right? So we, we see this even when Jesus is talking. He, he'll use these words sick, and he'll talk about referring to a physical ailment right? that we all know very well. We've all experienced. right? So it can mean that. In fact, there's 18 times in the New Testament alone that we see sick used in that way. However, it can also be used in a second way, which is that the sickness can be referred to an, an emotional or spiritual weakness. And that is used 14 times in the New Testament alone, right? So what, what James is arguing here is that, is there any among you here that are sick? Are there any among you who are weak in spirit, right? Just like what we read in, chapter, in verse 13, right? The suffering from other people, and he, he's building upon that idea. He goes, I know they're suffering from evil in this world. Is that making any of you weak, is that, is that really beating you down to the point? James realizes that is. He, he realizes there are people that are so afflicted that they're going through so much hardship in their life that they need others to come alongside them, right? These are the people that have nothing left in the emotional tank. These are the people that uh, they can't, they feel like they can't endure the suffering anymore. These are the people that feel so defeated that they feel like their faith is dwindling. You don't need to raise your hand, but has that ever been you? I'll raise my hand. I can think of a few times in my life where I know exactly what that feeling is. I can think of multiple times in my life where I've come to places and I say, I don't want to do this anymore. This is terrible. I've had those moments where I've said, God, are you even real? And if you are real, God, why don't you hear me? I know what it's like to be in those places. And it's a terrible place. And you begin to feel that sense that well, I, there's nothing I can do, that it will never get better, that I, I don't have the strength to carry on, so I just want to give up. James recognizes that's exactly how many people in his time were facing too. And so he calls the leader of the church. He says, you need to gather around them, and you need to anoint them. Not because there's anything special about anointing, but this idea of just really blessing people in a meaningful way. And he, he says to do that not because uh, the leaders in the church are better, not because the, the leaders in the church are, are more spiritual or that they're more holy. It has nothing to do with that. Hear that plain and simple today. But the notion is really simple. He says, I, you need to gather the strong to, to lift up the weak. And trust me, I'll be the first one to admit it. I've needed the strong to come alongside me and pick me up. It's amazing, though, as, as I've thought about this this week, like 
how quickly we run to other options, isn't it? Before we begin with prayer. How quickly we run to other avenues, not because I think there's anything wrong with that, but I wonder what it would look like to run first in prayer. Now, before we move on to the third prayer, let me, let me be very clear on something, okay? Because I said, as I said, I think this passage has a little bit of um, debate and misunderstanding around it. Um, I do believe that in the context of these verses that we are to be praying and uplifting people who are emotionally and spiritually weak. But let me be very crystal clear on something here. I am in no way suggesting or advocating that we not pray for physically sick people. And furthermore, I'm also not suggesting that in praying for physically ill people that they can't be healed. I don't believe that for one second. In fact, I am the opposite of that. I believe we should be praying for it. And that's largely because of the person of Jesus. That I believe in the same Jesus today that was 2,000 years ago that in prayer can heal physically ill people. And I believe that we as Christians should be doing that. I believe that the leaders of our church, we should be doing that. I just don't think that's the context here. And I know that this works. I've seen it with my own two eyes. I've seen people be prayed for that are physically sick and ill, and God heal them. At the beginning, you saw a video. This took place, this was over about, oh, close to about two years ago. I was in Ethiopia, okay? We were in the middle of nowhere, Ethiopia. We're in a tribal village uh, working with one of our partners, the Timothy Initiative, that's planting churches all around the world in the unreached areas. And there was a group of about 15 of us from the states, different pastors, ministry leaders. And the guy that you saw walk up there, he was a pastor. And something happened on the plane, and his, his back got severely out of line. And so from the day one of the trip, this guy was experiencing intense physical pain, and it just kept getting worse and worse. And, and of course, the, the context was not helping at all. We're walking everywhere. We're, we're driving on bumpy roads and in traffic constantly, and it's just wear and tear on his back, and he, and he, was, he was feeling so discouraged because this is a once-in-a-lifetime trip for him. He'd never been, and, and he finally, we, we, we realized that he had come to this place where he was just done. He was like, I don't want to go. I'm so tired of this, but I don't want to miss out. I don't know what to do. And so you know what we did? We gathered the elders and the leaders of these churches in the, in the middle of Ethiopia to pray for him. And as you saw in the video, it was pretty powerful. They don't speak English, right? <laughs> we're using a translator. We're telling them what's going on. And he just says, will you pray for me? And they said, absolutely, we'll pray for you. I edited the video for you, Okay. <laughs> That video was much longer, okay? It was a lot longer, but all of these leaders and people started beginning to pray with this guy. And you saw him, he kind of was even just struggling to walk up. The man couldn't even lift his hands when he was walking up there. And then you saw, what was he doing in the video? He lifted up both of his arms. That man skipped back to the car. Let me show, I'll tell you another story. Okay, um, few months before this, uh, I took a team to Germany um, to visit some of our Afghan women that we sponsor. Um, but we also got the chance to connect with one of our other global partners, um, All Nations, that's working with um, Muslim refugees in Germany. And part of our visit included going to visit a, a particular family. And I, obviously, you see, I can't show you their picture because they are still wanted in their country. Um, for selling Bibles, so they, we can't show you their picture. But we spent the entire day with this family, 
an amazing family. Their, their story is absolutely insane and of having to flee, and um, they would have been arrested and killed, all these things just for trying to disperse Bibles throughout the land. And um, you'll see on the, in the kind of the top right, though, uh, the lady in the, in the kind of red, purple, black dress there, about four or five hours into hanging out, she, she came up to me and asked if she could pray, if, if I would pray for her. And I started unpacking the story, and she too had severe neck and, and back pain. Uh, part of that was due to just w- when they fled from their country and they had to go through all this terrible stuff. And she had been experiencing a ton of pain as well. And so she asked, would you pray for me? And I said, absolutely, I would pray for you. And so what we did, we opened up James, we opened up scripture, we began to read all this stuff. I asked them, I said, do you have any oil? And they said, of course we have oil, right? So they went and grabbed some oil, we anointed this lady, and we began to pray for her that God would heal her. But in both situations, both situations, the woman here and the guy in Ethiopia both experienced not just physical pain, but both were feeling so beat down. They were so discouraged. And then I come to find out a couple weeks later that her pain had gone away. That's not me, by the way. Please understand that. I did not do that. The, the promise of God did that. The faithfulness to, to trust God to do all that thing. That's who did that. James promises us something here. He says, when we gather the brokenhearted and those who are beat down, he says, with, through faith and prayer, we can help restore people. God will fill people with his strength. He kept keep pressing on here. So James tells us we should be praying as individuals. We should have leadership pray for people as, as they in, encounter this, uh, these afflictions from the world. And then look here, keep reading. Um, we're going to look at the third prayer that James calls us into. Look at verses 16 through 18. It says this. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was human as we are, the prophet Elijah. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield his crops. James says you should be praying as individuals. We should have leaders be praying. And then he says, finally, our third prayer is he says we need to be praying for one another. James understands very clearly that the Christian faith was never meant to be lived as a solo act. He understands that, that, that it requires a community of people just like this, just like this room here today. It requires a group of people to come alongside and encourage one another as we navigate this life together, right? James recognizes that every single person, everybody in this room who knows Christ personally, each of us in this room has the ability to impact someone else. Okay? If you hear nothing else today, I hope you hear that today, that every believer in this room, if you know Jesus personally, each and every one of us has the capability to impact others, and we can do that through prayer, right? James reminds us about the power of fellowship, and he, and he gives us two ways that we can kind of support each other. He, the first one, he says, is as, as a way of, of ministering and encouraging one another, he says, you, you confess your sins to one another. Now, who likes to do that? I don't. And yet, I've done it, and I know the power of it. And James is really smart, and he understands how powerful it is. James says, 
we should be confessing our sins to one another. But notice why, he says, because when we're in true fellowship, when, when we are truly in, in Christ-centered biblical fellowship, when we confess our sins to one another, notice something, right? He says, first, we can confess our sins to each other, and then the second thing that we can do to each other is the result of the first. He says, when we confess, our second way of responding and, and, and caring for one another is that we pray for them. See, this is why I think maybe we struggle to confess is that we're worried about the response of the other person. We're worried if I, if I reveal this part of my heart, which is why I don't like to do it, which is I know none of us like to do this, but James argues, he says, but if we do that, if, that's, if we come and we confess to one another, the immediate response of the person that we're sharing with is prayer. Notice it's not judgment. It's not, oh, well, I'm so sorry, let me fix all your problems. It's not in any way condemnation. The immediate response of our fellow believers when we confess is to be prayer. Listen, it is very hard to be judgmental of others when you're in prayer for them. When, when you find that temptation, and all of us are capable of it, I'm no different. All of us can fall into the temptation of judgment and condemnation of others when we see them in their sin. But I truly believe that it is really hard to be judgmental when we're in prayer for people. And James calls us to that idea. James says we should long to see God's will for them. We want the best for them. We need to put aside our own beliefs and judgment and just say, in this moment, my way of caring for you and your difficulty is that I pray for you. Our posture should always be that of prayer for people. I, I truly believe that that one of the greatest ways, if not the greatest way that we can care for each other, that I can care for you, that you can care for me, is that we offer up the assistance of prayer. I'll tell you one more story uh, real quick here. So a few months, or actually about a month after I get back from Germany, I go to Panama, and I'm visiting another one of our New City Global Partners, Edify, who's working um, in private Christian schools and impoverished areas, and we got the chance to go visit this school here. Um, it's a school and church combined here, and really amazing school. We got to meet the pastors and the principals and the teachers. An amazing story. I could share that as well, but um, towards the end of our time there, they took us on a quick tour of, of the facility, and uh, we're, we're walking around. We see the, the sanctuary and the classrooms, and then they bring us to this other building here that you can see is incomplete. It was in mid-construction, and we started, you know, the, the two on the left there, that's the pastor, uh, his wife, who's the principal of the school, and we started asking a little bit about what this is, and they explained to us that this was going to be a community kitchen. They lived in a very rural area outside of Panama in a very impoverished area, and they realized that as a church, one of the ways that they could best serve and, and spread the gospel to this community is by feeding them. And so the, the, this would serve not only the school during the weekdays to help feed kids, but on the weekends it was going to help feed the community. And so there's about 15 or so of us there, and someone asked, well, why is it not finished? What's, what's the deal? And, and the pastor went on to explain that the short answer was COVID. They, they had lost money. They had lost, all oh, prices went up, and so they were kind of at a standstill. And at one point, somebody was just kind of curious. They said, well, I'm just, how much would it cost to finish this? And I don't remember the exact number, but it was under $10,000 or so. And a group of 15 of us start looking at each other and we're like, that's it? 
let me make some phone calls back home. We could, we could figure this out really quick. Right, we can call our pastors and mission leaders. We can call some friends back home. We can get you that, and no problem. We'll have this thing built in two seconds, right? That's our typical mindset that we like to look at this stuff, right? But then someone asked, they said, well, are you discouraged that this is not finished yet? And I'll never forget the response. No, we're not discouraged because when God's ready to build this, he'll build it. All they wanted was prayer. All they wanted was that prayer would ultimately provide for them. You see, I, I, I wonder how often we, we just run to fix problems and, and make all the different adjustments to our environments before we just say, hey, before we do all that, let's just go to prayer and see what God would do for us. So we, as we start to kind of wrap up today... I want to invite each of us to consider what your prayer looks like, our prayer life looks like. I, if you've grown up in church, you're no stranger to prayer. If you're new to church, you're gaining a, maybe a little bit better understanding. Or if, you, if you're here and you know really none of this, you probably still have some preconceived idea of what it is. But I'm thankful that we can come to passages like this today and be reminded of just how important and impactful prayer can be. And, and how it takes place not only in our own individual lives, but it's a part of a greater community-wide effort that we be praying and supporting and encouraging one another. I mentioned earlier that sometimes we, we, it's often referred to that prayer is kind of like our lifeline to God, if you will, right? It's our, it's our way to connect really quickly. And, and I certainly believe that, but I think as you see today that it's, it's even deeper and richer than that. Because I've come to realize that when we pray, not just as individuals, but when we're praying for others, that prayer has this ability to start changing us from the inside out. It starts to make us more humble. It starts to help us place things in a better context of where they should be. And ultimately, what prayer is teaching us to do is be more reliant upon God himself. Now, I don't know about you, but I've talked a little bit about what I think is an often mistake in my life as I'm thinking about prayer is that I often come to God with a plan and I say, God, here's what I think needs to happen. Can you in your goodness and power, can you make it just happen? But I wonder what it would be like if, if instead we came with the posture of God, here's everything. And before I dive down the, the path of fix it all and let's, let's change it all, what would it look like to commit it to you first? You know, I wonder if instead of saying, well, God, I want you to change my child's behavior, instead I say, God, I just want to pray for my child right now. I wonder if before we try to control our happiness, before, before we try to change all of that in our lives, maybe we ask that God just simply be present with us in our suffering. Maybe before we try to change all the environments, before we try to change all the, the different things that we can, maybe we simply pray that God would change our hearts first before our environments. Maybe before we try to avoid any semblance of pain, but before we try to encounter all that, what would it look like to say, God, I just want you and I want to trust you that just like the good shepherd that you are, that you're valuing through, you're, you're journeying through the valley with me. What would it look like to commit to prayer first? I think there, there's no better proof of this, there's no better analogy than, than the cross. You see, the cross teaches us a couple different things. The, the, the cross first teaches us that you and I are broken sinners. 
that there is nothing that you and I can do on our own to be forgiven of the evil that you and I have committed in our life. And I am I'm no better than any person in this world. And the Bible teaches us that, that we are all broken, we all need forgiveness. There's nothing that we could ever do to earn that, that we stand as enemies before God. And yet, because of God's love, this is the, the, the beauty of the gospel message, that he intercedes on that, right? That he comes down and he says, I know you can't pay the debt, I will pay it for you. And thus we have the gospel message that when we believe in Christ, when we trust in him as our Savior, we are forgiven. We have the opportunity to stand before God forgiven and righteous. But the second thing that the cross teaches us is that we are to trust God and Christ every single day for every single part of our lives. Look, our, our justification may be a one-time event, but our daily sanctification of becoming more like Christ is in every single day, every single moment of our lives. And James reminds us here that, that one of the best things that you and I can do on that path of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Christ, he says one of the best ways that we can do that and, and the ways that we can help each other is through prayer. So, so my final word for you today as we wrap up is I, I want you to always remember this, that we never stop praying. That Understand that prayer is a gift from God. It is powerful, and it has the ability to change things. And that is our bottom line for today. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has the power, has great power, and produces wonderful results. Will you pray for me? Pray with me. Jesus, we are thankful for the gift of prayer. You've given us this incredible opportunity for us to stay connected with you. You are the relational God. You're not the God who does amazing things and then stays out of the way. You do amazing things and you dive deeply into each and every one of our lives. And we're thankful this morning to be here and be reminded that prayer has power that prayer has the ability to change things, and that prayer is a part of our walk, not just as individuals, but as a body of Christ together. Father, I know in this room right now there are people that are suffering. I know in this room right now that there are people who feel uh, maybe physically ill, but, but also feeling that discouragement, that, that the emotional, spiritual tank is low. And so, Father, we, we want to be faithful to your word that we should pray for them, that we should pray for ourselves, that we should pray as leaders, that we should pray for one another because we trust you at your word. And so I do. I pray for my, my brothers and sisters here this morning that you would lift them up and that, that we would all lift up each other knowing that to get through what we're going through in life, we need each other. And that's one of the ways that you've cared for us. And so this morning, God, thank you for that. And thank you that it's all because of the cross that really this all, this all comes back to that moment and what you did for us there. That the cross unlocked the power of prayer, that the cross uh, gave us the opportunity to even connect with you in the first place. And to that end, Jesus, we are so immensely thankful this morning that you gave yourself for us. I pray now as we, as we close out our time that maybe we spend a moment or two in prayer for ourselves and for others, and we be reminded of how much it is you love us and you care for us. Amen.